Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. reminded of the parable that Jesus told of the sower who went out to sow seed. and In his sowing, the seed fell on different soils. If you remember, there are four different kinds of, of soil. How many of those four, how many of those soils were good soil? Well, only one. Only one where the seed took root and grew bear fruit. Christ this morning, I pray, is sowing his seed with his word. He never fails to sow his seed. But what's the reception? What's the soil that the seed is going to fall on today? That's your heart. Is your heart receptive to the word? Are you ready to hear it? Are you prepared to hear it? The Lord has prepared his word for you. Let it be that good soil where it takes root, it's planted deep, changes you today. And now that you've gotten nice and comfy cozy there in your seats, would you stand with me as we read God's word, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, and once I get to the end of verse 7, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and together... We will say thanks be to God, but only say that if you are truly thankful. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Oh, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine for a moment that you are desperately sick. And you knew that you were sick. There was no denying it. Imagine what you would do if you were in that kind of situation. You would go to the doctor. And after examining you and looking you over, imagine that this doctor then gives you a clean bill of health. I don't see anything wrong with you. Everything looks okay. You're good to go. There's a problem, though. You're not healthy. You are sick, and desperately so. The pronouncement of health does not alleviate or remove the illness. How would you view such a doctor? Well, it could be that he's just incompetent. He doesn't know what he's doing. Or he could be lying to you. He knows you're sick, but he doesn't tell you the truth about your condition. He's deceitful. Whatever the reason, though, the outcome is the same. It's dangerous. Perhaps he was ignorant or downright wicked, but whatever the reason, we would not want such a doctor because there would be no hope of getting better. Israel went through something similar in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. The people of Israel had forsaken the Lord. It's told to us there that that the Lord is the fountain of living waters. He is the fountain of life. They were to go to to that fountain and drink of Him. The problem was the Israelites had in a sense, hewed out for themselves other cisterns of water, right? So a cistern, if you dig a big hole in the ground and often you would line that hole with some kind of plaster or clay or something like that so that it would hold water, right? And that you would drink from that. Well, the picture is here that the Israelites had hewn out these cisterns for themselves that would collect water, but those cisterns were cracked. They were broken. And what happens if you have a cracked or broken cistern? You have unclean water. And imagine, imagine that picture there for a second. The Lord is offering you himself as the fountain of living water, clean, pure. But you would rather drink out of the toilet. You would rather drink unclean water, filthy water, contaminated water, dirty water. And to make matters worse, the problem was with prophets and priests in Israel who were coming to the people, the people who were drinking this dirty water, and they were saying, peace, peace, you have peace. The problem was, there was no peace. Those priests and those prophets were not healing the people. They were making things worse. What a dangerous predicament for us if people would tell us, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
maybe we feel like that is our world. We can see the chaos, the wickedness, the evilness, the brokenness all around us. But there would be those who would come to us and say, peace, peace. What is it that we need? We need this fourth facet of the divine name here that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We have seen this child and this son will be the wonderful counselor. He will be the mighty God. He will be the everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. This is the one that we need. One who does not merely pronounce peace or promise peace, but one who brings peace, one who establishes peace, who is himself peace, the embodiment of peace. His presence means peace. Just as these other facets of the divine name that we've been talking about with this promised one, this one who we know to be Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of these verses. These different facets of the divine name are all couched within this military context, right? We've seen this in reading these other verses. And it's no different for this here now. In the midst of this battle, in the midst of this war, comes one who is the prince of peace, the one who establishes peace. And you can even see that in verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood. The war has been awful. It's been bloody. It's been devastating. It's been difficult. What happens with all those army boots? What happens to all those garments that have been stained with blood because they have been wounded in the battle. They're burned. As fuel for the... They're no no longer needed. They're no more. Why? Because the Prince of Peace has come. These people are now rejoicing, a joy that is abundant. Just like at the harvest time, they are glad as they divide the spoil. This is the sign of military victory. When do you divide the spoil? When the enemy has been defeated, when victory is secure, when the Prince of Peace has established peace. We sing about this even, don't we? This idea of a prince who rules over something, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. It's the prince of this world. We don't tremble for him. Why? Because the Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace who has overthrown his enemies, who secured victory. Think about this, though, for a moment. What does this word peace mean? For us, we tend to think of it as an absence uh, of, of conflict or tumult, or as that which brings harmony and unity. The word, though, For the Jews is the word, maybe you've heard this word before, it's the word shalom. Shalom, not only is the absence of conflict, 
not only brings unity and harmony, it does all of that, but there's connotations of blessing. If you know shalom, you know the blessing that comes with it because you are communing with and united to the shalom giver. This is what is explicitly stated in the blessing the high priest Aaron was to put upon the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 6 when, it, when he is to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. Shalom indicates wholeness or completeness. When you know shalom, you know this sense of wholeness and this completeness that comes from the Lord. And maybe this is a moment to, to think of your own life for a second. Do you ever feel like something is missing? Like something in life is incomplete. It's not whole. What would it take? What would it take for you to feel complete? and to feel whole in your life. If you could think of that for a moment, maybe, maybe just jot that down on your notes. What would it take for me? What would it take for me to feel complete and whole in my life? Like, if I just had fill in the blank, what is that? Then, then, then I would feel complete, then I would feel whole. And I, I don't think this is an exception for many people. I think this is what many people feel. Do you feel it? I know you feel it because I feel it. An incompleteness, a lack of wholeness, a striving to find something, something that's going to bring shalom. How are we going to know this shalom? Well, we're not going to know it apart from the prince of shalom, the prince of peace. He is the total person, the whole person, the only person who ever was the whole person, the only person who never felt that, that incompleteness or that lack of wholeness because is everything. The one in whom God's rule and reign are absolute so that he brings supreme blessing to those who are under his rule and his reign. Here again, this Prince of Peace, just like Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace speaks to the condition of his rule. It's a rule of complete and total blessedness. And so how does the Prince of Peace bring us into this state or this condition of his amazing and majestic rule of peace. Well, you can follow along in your bulletins if that's helpful this morning. But number one, Jesus is the prince of peace who makes peace between God and man. Jesus is the prince of peace who makes peace between God and man. The only way to know wholeness, to know what it is to be complete, 
is to experience shalom and the peace between you and God. This is where we have to start. If we're going to know the Prince of Peace, and if we're going to know peace in general, and we're going to know shalom, we have to start with this foundational principle, peace with God. The problem is this is not where we often start. We start somewhere else. We start with our circumstances, or how we're feeling, or the possessions that we have, or something else. We have to start understanding the Prince of Peace by knowing that first and fundamentally, He makes peace between us and God. This calls to mind the whole plan of redemption as developed in the Bible. What is there in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sin against the Lord God, when they transgress and disobey His law? There is sin that enters into the human heart. A sinful nature now is what all of mankind knows as those who are in their first parents, Adam and Eve. What happened? What happened after Adam and Eve sinned? Separation from God in His presence. They were driven out of the garden. They once knew the joy of fellowship with God. They once walked with God. They once talked with God. They lived for God in the garden. But when sin entered their hearts, all of that was lost. Paradise was lost. Peace was lost. And they were exiled. Horrible enough to be driven out of the garden, but then what did the Lord God do? He placed their cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way, it says, to guard the way to the tree of life. If they were going to try to get back into the garden on their own, it meant the pain of death, the flaming sword that would fall upon them. If they remained in their sin, they would be these ungodly, unrighteous enemies of God. And and sometimes I think this is the way that many people might think. Couldn't we just live as enemies of God? Like, God, you live as you are going to live And we will live as we are going to live, and maybe we could just coexist. But Romans 1.18 tells a different story. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It goes on to say, the truth about God has been made plain to them. It's been made evident to them. They can see it. They know it. But here are these people who suppress the truth by their ungodliness and unrighteousness. They remain enemies of God. By sinning against an infinite God who is the holy creator and righteous judge, the sovereign Lord, there is a punishment and payment that's needed for that sin. It's a debt that we as sinners owe, but it's a debt that we could never pay Because, as it goes on to say in Romans, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good. Then what does it say? Not even one. 
What is there to do? Is, is peace with God possible? How can we get out of this state of being in God's, uh, uh, being God's enemy, of being as those under his wrath? Can this Prince of Peace accomplish what has been needed since that dreadful and dark day in the garden with sin and darkness and death that then covered the earth because of the fall of Adam and Eve? The good news is the Prince of Peace can deal with that problem and does deal with that problem. And so I want us to look at Isaiah here again and see how he does this. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Isaiah 48. And this is important. So if, if you have your Bible, I really encourage you to follow along. Isaiah 48, verse 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You see the problem there? The people hadn't followed the Lord. The people hadn't obeyed the Lord. And so the peace that would have been like a river flowing over them, they would have known the righteousness of God, like the waves of the sea, those things were absent from them. Those things were gone. In fact, look at verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Problem, peace is gone. Peace has been lost. But then look at chapter 49. Verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb is to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength, he says. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nation that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So what's happening here now, okay? Peace has been lost. There's no peace but now there's this promise of the servant of the Lord. And what does this servant of the Lord do? Well, he's going to be a light to the nations. He's going to bring salvation to the end of the earth. So we had peace that was lost. And now we have peace that is promised through this suffering servant, the suffering servant of the Lord. And so how is he going to do that? Well, turn over to chapter 53, verse 5. How is the servant of the Lord going to bring back peace? Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that what? Brought us shalom. The peace was lost. The peace was promised. The peace is regained how through a suffering servant who would take the chastisement that we deserve upon himself who would suffer in our place who would die in our place who would take all of our iniquity upon himself to pay the penalty we could not pay 
But not only will peace be regained through this suffering servant, peace will also be secured. Look at Isaiah 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion upon you. Peace lost, peace promised, peace regained, peace secured. In this covenant of peace. This covenant of peace where the Lord promises his people that he will be their peace. And he will make peace with God. And though it may be like the earth is coming undone, like the mountains and the hills are being torn asunder and being done away with, There is something more sure than all of the creation in which you live, and that is the steadfast love of the Lord who's made this promise of peace to his people so that it will never leave you. It will never go away. When you are brought to be at peace with God, that peace will never be removed. It will never be undone. It will never go away. And here is Jesus Christ. It was the peace punishment that the suffering servant experienced. The punishment that was necessary to restore our peace with God. It was the punishment of God that fell upon the Prince of Peace that was needed to restore our peace with God and secure a right relationship with Him forever. The sacrifice secured an eternal covenant of peace. How is it that we sinners can be at peace with God? We are at peace with Him because it's through the, suf- the sacrifice of the suffering servant that we are declared righteous by God. Look at this. This is amazing. Romans 5. If you have your Bibles, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What does that mean? That means that we are justified. We're declared righteous by God. That we as guilty sinners, now he says, I no longer see you as guilty sinners. I see you as holy and blameless and right in my eyes. How does that come to us? By faith. Not by works. Not by cleaning ourselves up. It comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. So since we have been justified by faith, we what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is with Christ as the object of our faith that we believe in him who knew no sin, but who was made to be sin on our account so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be declared righteous, innocent, clean, holy, 
This is how we are at peace with God, because through faith, Christ's righteousness has been imputed or credited to our account. We are not at peace with God because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness given to us. We have not done what is necessary to make peace with God, but Jesus Christ has done everything necessary so that we can be at peace with him through this glorious and magnificent Prince of Peace who died and rose again from the dead. And think about that. Think about that. The death of the suffering servant. He had to die. Here it is, the Prince of Peace on the cross. What would we think? Peace is gone. How can the Prince of Peace die and give peace? But it was through the Prince of Peace's death that he secured, he solidified, he established, and he provided for us in such a way that that peace could never be lost. In fact, look at what Colossians 1, verses 19 through 20 says. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, what? Making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. Peace comes to mankind. Peace between God and man comes through the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember all of those boots? Those army boots? Remember all of those garments that were rolled in blood? Remember all of those things that would become fuel for the fire no longer needed? That only happens because the Prince of Peace shed his blood. The peace we have with God is a costly peace. It comes through the sacrifice of the Son of God upon the cross. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Is this the peace that you know? Peace with God. If not, you can go no further. For these next two points will mean nothing to you until you know peace with God. It is foundational. It is necessary. It is the peace, the shalom, upon which all other peace rest. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today is the day to trust Him. Today is the day to know peace with God. What does this peace with God lead to? Number two, Jesus is the Prince of Peace who makes peace between man and man's heart. 
makes peace between man and man's heart. I would say a different way. This is internal peace. Peace of one's heart, peace of one's mind. Do you ever feel agitated and restless? Does your heart ever feel uneasy? Longing for rest. Do you long for peace of mind? Maybe you've even said that to your kids or grandkids. I just need some peace and quiet. People go to great lengths to find internal peace. They think they need to find themselves. They think they need to teach themselves the importance of silence and solitude. Serenity now! Does this ever lead to lasting and constant peace in one's heart? Perhaps one can dampen the murmurings of the heart, the anguish and the angst that they experience for a while, but it's only like putting a Band-Aid on what needs heart surgery. Isaiah speaks to this internal shalom in Isaiah 26, verse 3. Look at that with me. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Very literally, this first line here, you keep him in perfect peace, it's this. You keep him in peace, peace. You keep him in shalom, shalom. Perfect peace, it's doubled for emphasis, for wholeness, for completeness. You're looking for a verse to memorize, a couple verses to memorize? These would be a few verses that would be good to have memorized in your arsenal. You keep him in perfect peace, how? Whose mind is stayed on him, on the Lord. What distractions come into your mind? And I wonder if you ever make that connection. If you're feeling this unrest in your heart and your soul, why do I feel this way? What is going on in me? Well, is your mind stayed on him or is your mind thinking about something else? Are you living by faith in him and trust in him? Or would you rather depend more upon what your eyes can see. Do you believe this verse? You keep him in perfect peace. No way. That's <laughs> Come on, let's be real. Perfect peace? That's, that's, that's a pipe dream, isn't it? What God's word says is always true. And if you think this verse is a pipe dream, the problem is not with God's word. The problem is with you and me. It's because my mind is fickle. 
My mind is wavering. My mind is easily distracted. My mind would rather trust in things that I think are stable. But the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The world is shifting sand. The world's thoughts, the world's minds, the world's truth, whatever that is, that doesn't last, that's not stable, but the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. Trust in Him today, tomorrow, the next day, and forever. Never stop. He is always dependable. He is always trustworthy. He keeps Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him. This is true peace as compared to pseudo-peace. Jesus is the only one who gives us peace in order to minister to our hearts and lives. In fact, look at John 14. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus' peace is not like the world's peace. That peace is temporary, self-centered, does not bring a long and blessed life. The peace that emanates from the Prince of Peace calms the troubled heart. It drives out fear. Is your heart troubled? Is it fearful? It's not the peace of Jesus that causes those things, but the absence of Jesus' peace. Do not substitute the peace that Jesus gives with the peace of this world. Finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace who makes peace between man and man. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who makes peace between man and man. There were shepherds that night out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. And there came an announcement from the angel of the Lord who said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those. God's gift of peace among those with whom he is pleased to call to himself. Yes, peace with God. Yes, peace within oneself, but also peace among men, specifically among us. Jesus is our peace. And he brings us together and binds us together as one new man. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Ephesians 2, 
14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, that's Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus brings the body of Christ, his body, together in peace. He promotes peace. He is our peace. And he calls us to be peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Would you choose to be a peacemaker? Like, would that be something that you would volunteer for, sign up for? Yeah, I, I want to be a peacemaker. Like, if, if, let's just imagine for a moment, like, they're divvying out, like, uh, spiritual gifts, God was divvying out spiritual gifts. And you came up and he asked you, okay, what spiritual gift would you like to have? How about uh, discouragement? No, that's not a spiritual gift. <laughs> you have to pick something else. A spiritual gift, what, what, what do you want? Well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, what do you got? How about peacemaker? Mm, I don't know. Can I, how about the gift of giving? How about the gift of generosity? I, I, I like that one, right? Like, maybe you think to yourself, because in order to have the gift of generosity, I, I probably have to have a lot of money. Would you be a peacemaker? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace? Would you be a peacemaker? How can you be a peacemaker with other people? How can you move towards other people in love and in peace? Because you know the peacemaker. How can you forgive? Because you've been forgiven. How can you love? Because you've been loved. Who is it? Who is it in your life? Who is it that you say, I need to make peace with them. I need to forgive. All the things that I'm holding on to are petty. It's not worth it. I've been forgiven so much. 
I'm at peace with God. I have peace in my heart. Why would I not be a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they are sons of God. They're God's children. Of course they're peacemakers because they act like their father. They act like the prince of peace. It's right here that we come to the Lord's table. What better place? To draw our minds to the one who made peace by the blood of his cross. The place where we were forgiven. And so the place then where we can also forgive other people. If you need a cup and a bread, uh, Jeff's in the back, just raise your hand, let him know that you need one. As we enter into our time around the table, I'm going to give us moments of reflection and meditation. This is for people who are first and fundamentally at peace with God. If, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are at peace with God, this table is for you. You would say, I don't know Christ. I'm, I'm not at peace with God. Pray, think about these things that have been said. Think about the Savior. For upon him was the chastisement that can bring you peace today. But I want us to take a moment and, and, and first, as we hold this bread in our hand and remember the body of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I want you first to think about your peace with God and the cost, the cost that was made so that you could be, you can be at peace with God. And then maybe pray and think about that one that you need to be at peace with in your life that you're not right now. That you'd ask the Lord to soften your heart, soften their hearts. Restore and establish peace. The shalom that, that you want. Take a moment, meditate on the body of our Lord. verse 19 he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me take and eat and as you take this cup which is a representation of the blood of Christ 
meditate and think and thank the Lord for the cleansing power of Christ's blood in your life. And empty your heart of any sin. Lay it out before the Lord today. Do not hold on to anything. Ask Him that as He cleanses you, your devotion and love for Him might grow and grow. Take time to meditate on the blood of Christ. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father, we will never be whole or complete or no shalom apart from you. So lavish your peace upon us through the Prince of Peace today. Bring us back to be peacemakers if we've forgotten or neglected to be peacemakers. Renew us today with the hope of lasting peace that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ where darkness and sin and death are conquered and where life, abundant life, joyous life, everlasting life prevails. We pray this in Jesus' name.